Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Good to see y'all this morning. You all right? And I want to thank the military. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. Bless you. Bless you. Appreciate that. So uh, let's get something out of the way. I say this, I've learned to say this often before I speak. I acknowledge uh, the, re- the reality of what's going on here. How many of you are sleepy? Just raise your hand. Now, to tell the truth. All right, here's the deal. If you're sleepy, please go ahead and go to sleep. I've, I've slept on the best of them, so what goes around comes around. You just, you know, we've got some room when some of these pews are empty. Just, you know, just, just knock yourself out, all right? I mean, I can see far more than you think I can see. So, you know, just go ahead and sleep. But don't do one of these two things. Don't do like this. That's distracting. Just yield. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and the other one is, please, by all means, don't do like this, pretending as if you're reading or praying. Now we got character issues. That's lying. So <laughs> just, just help yourself, all right? And uh, you can listen to me, or if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. But uh, just, just do what you need to do. I, uh, <laughs> I bring you greetings from my dear, dear wife. We've been married now for 47 years, and she's the joy of my life. Um, I'm going somewhere with this, but we, we, we met when I was still in college, and uh, um, it was, uh, oh, about two weeks before I went back on campus this summer between my uh, freshman and sophomore year that I broke up with my high school sweetheart, and uh, the truth of the matter is she kicked me to the curb, and uh, can you imagine somebody getting rid of all of this, but... Uh, <laughs> And you're looking at me saying, yes, I, I can. I can imagine that. So, and uh, so I came, back to, I came back on campus. This, this is true, sir. I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. And uh, so I was on my knees, true story, in my dorm room. This is the first full day back. And I said, God, no more women. They mess you up every time. Just you and me, Jesus, this semester. <laughs> Stay focused on him and not to be dis, you know, distracted, deterred, or you know, and anyway, just stay focused and no dating, none of that stuff. People who know me know that when my mind's made up, I can be fairly focused. So I got up off my knees and uh, mind filled with this deep-seated stalwart, signal mind, the commitment to Jesus. And uh, walked down the street toward the main administration building, you know, just rehearsing this commitment. Don't be distracted or deterred. Stay focused. And I'm there. And I get to the doors of the main administration building, open the doors and there at the top of the stairs with these two brown legs. And I said, Lord, what have we here? <laughs> I was healed. It was a miracle. Burdens lifted. <laughs> it's all that. And uh, those legs belong to Karen, who's now my wife. And it was like God said to the angels, hey, you know, the boy doesn't mean all that stuff. I mean, he's demented. I got a hookup for him here. So at any rate, and uh, so I introduced myself, and my mama taught me to be hospitable to strangers. And uh, I said, I'm Crawford Loretz, and I'm your tour guide. And uh, so I've been showing her around for 47 years now, so it's it. 
Actually, she's been showing me around. But uh, I share that with you to set something up because in the Bible, often marriage is a picture of the Christian life. Great marriages, by the way, are not kept together by feelings of love, but by a commitment to love. Great intentionality. And so it is in the Christian life. And I just want to talk about our hearts today. And I want to go to an exceptionally familiar passage of Scripture. And if you've been a believer longer than a year, 18 months, no doubt you've heard a message on this text. But I want to talk about recapturing our first love. We've got to be careful, as my friend Tim Keller says, of, of the idols that ambush us and the other affections that capture our hearts and our minds in the Christian life. If we're not careful, the secondary can become primary. We can fall more in love with the processes of our Christianity. We can fall in love with the performance of our ministries. We can fall in love with the pragmatics associated with what we're doing. And if we're not careful, those very activities will rape us of authenticity, depth, and vibrancy. In Revelation chapter 2, this extremely familiar passage of Scripture, Jesus tells John as he's on exile on the Isle of Patmos to pick up his pen, I want to dictate some letters to seven churches. And by the way, uh, as he dictates these letters, uh, at least five of the seven churches, these letters follow the same basic template. Same basic template. There is a commendation about something. There is secondly, and I put quotes around this, a condemnation about something. And then there's correction. He commends them for something, condemns them for something, and tells them how to get back on the road. He corrects them. But I think the, the letter to the church at Ephesus is a prophetic word for all of us today. All of us today. It has our address, our zip code, our email address, our cell phone number, our social media, all over it. It's a word that we need to embrace, particularly those of us who are preparing for ministry. You're very busy right now. There's demands that's being placed upon you. And if you're not careful, you fall more in love with rare Greek verbs than you do with your Savior. You got to be careful. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. And so, Jesus says to John, 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 write this letter. Here's a letter. Here's a message that I have to the church at Ephesus. First, he commends them for something. We pick it up here in verse 1. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. Now he commends them. This is not disingenuous. He's not setting them up. This is on, he, he commends them. 
And by the way, pushing back a little bit, the church at Ephesus, my research indicates, they didn't meet in one large place. Probably it was a series of house churches dotted around the city of Ephesus. Maybe 12, 13, 15 people huddled together, and perhaps there was an elder over the church. You're sitting there in that small house church, and here is a message from the mouth of the master himself. And the elder reads these words. And if you're like me, I'm sitting next to Karen, and, and, and Jesus is commending us. And I'm doing like this, sweetheart, we ain't so bad. Now, I want you to notice what he commends them for. If you look at the verbs here, um, uh, uh, verses uh, 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 two through, through three, he commends them for basically two things. Number one, he commends them for right behavior. He says, you, 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 you are enduring, uh, you, 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 you've not uh, uh, given up here, and uh, you're bearing up, and you, you're, you're, you're behaving right. There's no, no hint of protracted immorality or people taking these amazing sinful excursions and stuff. No, he says, this is standing ovation. I'm commending you. You are behaving right. It's wonderful. It's good. You're squeaky clean. But secondly, not only does he commend them for right behavior, number two, he commends them for right beliefs. There's a little line there, I think the New American Standard Version put this, puts it this way, you have put the test, those who call themselves apostles and they are not. The not so subtle inference is this, you, you have a right understanding of truth in such a way that you can discern that which is false and that which is true. Now, now you, you're going to feel the tension here. He commends him for right behavior, and he also commends him for right beliefs. You say, well, what possibly could be wrong? Don't you want to behave right and believe right? I mean, I'm a pastor, and people relocate from my church and say, you know, pastor, we're moving to uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. We're moving to Chicago. Do you know of any churches there? And, you know, and basically what I'm thinking about is that I want, to, I want to send them to a place where the people are not squirrely, you know, and where they believe in the right stuff and, and they're not walking into a cesspool of, uh, of inconsistency and disobedience. So when you read these words, you say, what possibly could be wrong? They're behaving right and they're believing right. But then there's this, this next line. And by the way, preachers, when you do exposition, don't only preach and, and keep your eye on the literal historical grammatical context, but also honor the emotional context. They're sitting there. These are real people. And then the elder reads this line. But I have this against you. No, 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 no. Notice who's saying this. This is not some scud missile email from a disgruntled member of a church. Jesus is saying, I've got a problem with you. I've got a problem with you, and it's not inconsequential. 
This is no C minus issue. I got a, I got a big problem with you. And if you're sitting there in that small house church, you're probably going, hold up, he just commended us for right behavior and right beliefs. What, what, what could that problem be? He's not being disingenuous. I mean, he, that, that's true. Notice the statement of the problem. He says, I, yeah, you believe in right and behaving right, but I, the Lord of history, who created you, redeemed you, cleaned you up, have a problem with you. And here's the statement of the problem. Uh, in my view, I don't mean to sound condescending or cynical here, but in my view, lazy preachers have mispreached this text. They've misquoted this. The clear statement of the problem is this. My problem with you, no, don't stop behaving right or believing right. My problem with you is that, now hear, hear the words, you have uh, left, I prefer the English Standard Version says abandoned, but you have left your first love. Measure those words. I know you've quoted it and heard it before. But listen to what he says. My problem with you is that you have left your first love. There's some key words there that's very important. It says you have left your first love. Now, there's an ellipsis here. What do you mean by that? There, there's an ellipsis here, and the ellipsis is this. What he's saying is, and I really believe that this fits the context, it's not stated, but it is strongly implied. What he's saying here is this. You have made an exchange. You have made the process the destination. You, you, you have made the outcome the core. Meaning, meaning, here's the ellipsis, you love what you do for me, you love your right behavior, and you love your right beliefs more than you love me. You have left your first love. Number one, you left it. You left it. He didn't say you lost your first love, as some would preach the text. You didn't lose it, you left it. Leaving something implies distraction. It implies distraction. You got distracted by something. And I would suggest in the text, you got distracted by focusing on your behavior and your beliefs, which is wonderful. He commends him for that. But that you, there was something else that produced that, and you, you, you left what produced it. You got distracted. Be careful, be careful. This is a temptation you'll wrestle with all your days in ministry. Be careful of making the, making the secondary the primary. The measure of your ministry is always a manifestation of your communion with God. 
and not your brilliance and not your next strategy and not your next emphasis and not your, 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 your brilliant insight. The eternal value of what you do springs forth from your communion with him. You've left your first love. Some years ago, way back in the Promise Keepers days, I spoke at a number of these events, uh, and I served on staff for 27 years of Campus Crusade, and uh, so I was on staff with crew at the time, and I was getting ready to speak, um, I'll never forget this, this Friday morning, uh, actually early afternoon, I was flying out to speak at one of these stadium events, Promise Keepers. It was a real busy day that, that day, and I was really excited. I was uh, also, calling, going to a meeting that morning before I go to the airport. There were some Christian leaders who come to town. I was uh, uh, over this project, this uh, evangelistic TV special that we were piloting there in Atlanta and getting, getting input. Was, that's a little more than you need to know. But anyway, um, so the point I was trying to make is I, I, was, I had a very, very busy day, and I was excited about everything that was on my agenda that day. Now, you got to know something about me. I've got a little, I'm a little OCDC about... Uh, um, about time. I am. You know, I live by these two things, and I tell our staff this, too. If you habitually show up late, people will not take you seriously. And secondly, time is a moral issue, and the person who's habitually late is therefore immoral. But that's another issue. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I'm a little, little bit about this. So a guy like me who's running late, that ain't a good thing. And so I was running late that morning, and I was getting ticked and frustrated, to be honest with you. And so, you know, I, I rush out of the house, and I get in my car, and I'm thinking about, uh, what am I forgetting here? You know, you ever had that feeling? You forget, I got the stuff for the meeting. I got my stuff for the trip and all this stuff. I get halfway to my office, and I go, oh, man, I left my wallet on the dresser. Here I am with all this wonderful stuff, Stuff to advance the kingdom. I just got distracted from, you know, with what I was going to do. And here I was driving without identification. Jesus is your identification. Your love for him is your identification. And it's so easy to get distracted. He said, you have left your first, first love. That term first there, as borne out by the context, is, is not first in the sense of the sequence of events, do this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and this. It is to be taken as first in terms of what establishes all other priorities. It is the essence expression for first. It is a priori, it is, it is core to who you are and what you do. Everything else emanates from that. It is first. Now, you know, be careful of guys like me who speak in conferences and seminars. Sometimes we say things that's not true. And I don't mean that we intentionally lie, but every once in a while we'll make statements because somebody else said it and it's a popular statement. Years ago, I used to repeat this statement and every time I said it, I had this little strange feeling that, you know, that may not be right, but then I'd say, well, it must be right, so-and-so said it. And uh, the statement was this, I can tell what's most important by, uh, in your life by looking at your calendar. Well, that ain't true. You know, if you, you've been married longer than two weeks, you understand that you can't sit around and kissy face all day. Somebody got to go to work. 
I mean, you can do that, but you'd be homeless, have a, a delightful romance there in a homeless shelter, but you know, you can do that. And so, you know, there's not necessarily a one-to-one relationship in terms of, you know, the amount of time you spend on something is not necessarily a true picture of what's your value. Ah, but what is a true picture is who determines how you use your time. My wife, Karen, we've been married now, as I said, 47 years. I love that wife more than anything, that woman more than anything else in this world. She has veto rights over my calendar. I love you, really love you, but I really love Karen. Y'all are optional, excuse me. She's not. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, look at you. Look at you. You've chosen the manifestation to be your Messiah. You chose your performance to be your deliverer. You, you have left your first love. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because I think sometimes we go a little bit overboard in distinguishing those three primary, at least in the New Testament, the three primary Koine Greek words translated for love. I, uh, you got to be careful, you know, sometimes agape and phileo are used interchangeably. It's defined by its context. However, I will make this observation. According to this context, he uses the Greek word for love, agape, there. Sometimes I wish we would embrace mystery a little bit more when we try to explain these terms. And our desire to explain these terms, we can trivialize their, their meaning. I think that there are three big words in the Bible that, def- that defy human description and articulation. Glory is one of them. How does a fallen person begin to articulate the proactive presence of God, the manifest presence of God? Holiness is the same. How can a fallen person begin to describe the the utter purity of our great God? And here's another word. I really believe agape falls into that same category. How, I mean, we say, what's God's unconditional love? Well, yeah, but it's so much more than that. It is so much, that word is tied to his nature. It's tied to his holiness. It's a love that is foreign to us. It's a love that ran us down, that sought us out, that dragged us out of the pits of life, that delivered us. A love that is sacrificial and embraces shame. And here Jesus is probably referring to Acts 19 when Paul shows up there in Ephesus and in Ephesus was one cesspool, it was a hellhole and these people were going into those pagan temples doing the nasty. Go to Lagos and look up the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia's article on Ephesus. I don't want to go into the Purian details, but it was a filthy place. It's as if Jesus said, oh, look at you, look at you now. You, 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 know, you ain't doing that anymore. You're not messing with the temple prostitutes anymore. You're not doing this stuff. You're good, 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 good. 
Good. Not cussing like you used to, God. God, look at you. Squeaky clean, right? Got your theological doctrinal framework down. There you go. Look at you, man. Where am I? Where am I? Well, that ain't good news. Started out by being excited, sitting there in that little house church, and Elder reads this thing, and we're thrilled. And now he says, I got some problem with you, buddy Crawford. Man, you've drifted, Jack. You've gotten distracted. But here we're, here's where Jesus pours out grace. He says, now here's the way to get back on track. <laughs> he says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And for the sake of time, I'll just park it there, make some observations about those words. He says, no, you, you can get realigned. You, you, you got the right stuff in you, but it's just in the wrong place. You, you, you've pushed me, I'm there, but you pushed me back here and you're celebrating your behavior and beliefs without telling people where it came from. What do you do? He says, well, you need to do three things. You need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to redo. In that order. He says, remember, that's a bit of a double entendre. That Greek word means both to recall as well as to rehearse. It's almost as like they say, stop, stop, stop. Pull over, stop, just pull over. Don't keep going faster in the wrong direction. Don't keep doing more thinking that you're going to get better. Stop. You need to take inventory of your soul. Pull over, pull over, pull over. And what, what I want you to do is recall, go back, way back, way back, 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 way back before you knew the difference between Genesis and Habakkuk. Go back, 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 back. Go back. I want you to recall what you were. I want you to recall who delivered you. But there's an active part of remember. It means to rehearse that. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Don't you ever get so cute in ministry don't you ever get so sophisticated in ministry that you forget about the miracle of Calvary in your life? It is that gospel. It is the cross work of Christ. It is this deliverance in my soul that is my authority to minister to others. I want you to remember that. Keep it fresh. Who was it? Old D.L. Moody used to say, before I came to the cross, I came to Christ, I, walked, I, I worked toward the cross. After I came to Christ, I worked from the cross. Remember. Remember. We used to say this to our kids, especially our boys, as they were growing up constantly. 
remember who you are. Remember where you came from. Let that be the anchor to your soul. He says, remember. Then he says, repent. Repent. Metanoia. Change your mind about how you're doing your Christianity. I, I actually think that it, it, this is a, a, a dual implication. Uh, I think literally change your head about how you're thinking, change your mind about how you view things, but I also think it's the broader, the broader implications of repentance. Repentance implies sorrow concerning an offense. Again, this is another ellipsis in the text. You've offended. I have this against you, Jesus says. Repent. I have this against you. Repent. The offense is against Jesus. Your benign neglect is not so benign. You hurt his heart by wandering away from his compassion. You've offended him. It's not okay to be drawn away to other affections. It's idolatry, even in ministry. You can love your apologetics more than you love Jesus. You can love preaching more than you love Jesus. You can love discipleship more than you love. You love teaching more than you love Jesus. You can love administration more than you love Jesus. I don't see how, but you can. <laughs> you can do that. So stop and repent. And then this line, which is curious to me, and I'll land the plane on this. And do the works you did at first. What does he mean by that? I, that stumped me the first time I studied the text. I, I went back to Acts 19. And what, what, does he, what does he mean by that? Uh, and I sort of water skied through Ephesians maybe to get a, what, what does he mean by that? Then it dawned on me. Again, for those of us who preach, there are certain texts of Scripture that are meant to be understood emotionally. And I think this is one of them. I think Jesus is saying, and I argue this from the context, you have left your first love, do again the deeds you did at first. I think he's talking about your affections for me. When, when you first got converted, you, you walked out of that pagan temple and you saw this little dude out there in the Agora 
the marketplace. He was talking about this Jesus who came and died on the cross in your place and for your sin and rose again on the third day. And you, 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 you surprise yourself to sleep wondering, how come it's taking me so long to get better? You would do the nasty in the temple and you feel filthy all over and you were wondering who's going to, and then the, your eyes got open and you, you gave your heart to Jesus. And you were clean. And you laid awake at night with the tears streaming down your cheeks and quietly saying, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. We are empty nesters, which is a wonderful thing. Go means get out. And we, 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 got, we got a three-day rule with our adult children. Adult children bring drama. Y'all bring drama. I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult you. You bring drama home. And uh, so we got a three-day rule with our adult kids. If God could raise Jesus in three days, you can get up out of my house in three days. So it's just like... And... Uh, some of you are looking at me, oh, that's so awful. You wait until you have children and grandkids. Yeah, you remember that. But the only reason why my kids exist is for transportation for my grandkids. Grandkids stay as long as they want. But anyway, I started to say I'm joking, but there's a little truth to that. But where am I going with this? At any rate, um, so we're empty nesters, and Karen and I, we, we, we eat out a lot. In fact, I told her the other day, I said, sweetheart, I'm going to sell the refrigerator and the stove. It's not necessary. And uh, keep the microwave because that's my lifeline. But at any rate, <laughs> she didn't think that was too fun. But um, we, 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 we don't have a midweek service. We have small groups in our church. We don't have a midweek service. So Wednesday night typically is the night that we hang out. And I got only one of these travel stretches where uh, we had skipped a couple of those Wednesday nights. I didn't feel too bad about that because we hang out elsewhere. But Wednesday is the official date night. So... Um, she called me at the office. We were talking about something else. She wasn't busting my chops or anything, but she was, we were talking about something else. And then she said to me, well, honey, we haven't hung out for a while. That's what we called. We haven't hung out for a while. So I thought to myself, well, I, I had to go to Chicago. I was doing some radio. I said, I, I go to Chicago, and, I, and I'll be back, sweetheart, and we'll hang out. And I thought as I hung up, that was lame. So, um, you know, I told my assistant, hey, I'm going to go home a little early and this kind of thing. And so I went home and hung out with her. You know, um, there was an old song, and I'm really dating myself, back in the 60s, early 70s. I think it's a Neil Diamond song. Part of the refrain to the song goes, you don't send me flowers anymore. What is your heart temperature for Jesus? When is the last time you just blessed his holy name and told him how much you love him? Are you cultivating your love relationship with him? Is he supreme? Father, thank you for your grace and mercy and thank you for the power of the word. And God, I just pray that you will stoke the fires in our hearts and 
Help us not to get so complicated about doing Christianity and about pursuing ministry that we leave the power to do it on the table. Fill our hearts, O oh God, with a freshness, with a love for our Lord Jesus that we lead with and that we live for in Jesus' name. Thank you again for Amen. listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.